Hello, listeners, and welcome back to another episode of EmakeCast. My name is Lavinia Turian, and I am an MS4 at Oregon Health and Science University. On today's episode, we are going to discuss cardiac tamponade, a presentation that is seen in the emergency department, and how ultrasound can be used to aid in the diagnosis. This is intended to be a short and informative episode and is by no means a complete guide to cardiac tamponade. We'll start with a case. A 58-year-old female presents to the emergency department by ambulance with knife wounds to the chest and abdomen area. She is hypotensive at 88 over 56, tachycardic at 112, with respiration rate at 18 and O2 sets at 97%. On physical exam, her heart sounds are muffled and her lungs are clear to auscultation. There are three visible knife wounds ranging from 3 to 6 centimeters in length with gauze-soaked and moderate amount of blood covering them. No other wounds are noted. She's able to follow commands and responds to question. So after we assessed her airway and breathing, it is time for circulation. Her wounds are bleeding at a minimum amount, but her heart exam is concerning, especially with the muffled heart sounds. A fast exam is performed to see if there are other sources of bleeding. When a fast exam was performed, a pericardial effusion is seen as a presence of anechoic or black fluid in between the cardiac chamber walls and parietal pericardium in the parasternal long axis view. Within the pericardial space, in addition to fluid, there are also some iso to hyperechoic or gray to gray white components in the pericardial space that are suspicious for hemopericardium with fresh and thrombosed components. Now that we have identified fluid, most likely blood, in the pericardial space in a trauma patient that is hypotensive with muffled heart sounds, there is concern for cardiac tamponade. Although cardiac tamponade is a clinical diagnosis, the diagnosis can be aided with the use of imaging. So let's discuss some ultrasound findings that will help increase your suspicion for cardiac tamponade or reassure that another diagnosis is present. When there is concern for cardiac tamponade, there are a few signs and symptoms that you are going to look for. Some of those signs and symptoms include chest pain, dyspnea, hypotension, tachycardia, an elevated jugular venous pressure that is greater than 8 centimeters, and pulses paradoxus, which is a greater than 10 millimeter of mercury drop in systolic blood pressure during inspiration. And because I feel like a review of how to measure jugular venous pressure is always helpful, an image of how to do so is included in the description. The classic finding in cardiac tamponade is Beck's triad, which includes distended neck veins, reduced systolic blood pressure, and muffled heart sounds. But like most triads that we learn, all components are not always present. In the case of Beck's triad, less than one-third of patients with cardiac tamponade will have all three of these findings. So what causes all of these symptoms? Having a better understanding of the physiology of these symptoms will help in reasoning why they are present as opposed to just memorizing a list. This physiology is present when interpericardial pressure increases and exceeds diastolic pressure in the heart chambers 
due to a rapid accumulation of fluid in the intrapericardial space and then affecting systemic venous pressure. So think of the pericardium as a fixed sac with minimal stretch. When there is no excess fluid between the heart walls and the pericardium, the heart is able to contract the way it should. But when you introduce fluid within that space, the heart has less space to properly relax during diastole and therefore is unable to have the necessary systolic pressure. There can be fluid that accumulates in the pericardial space that does not result in tamponade. The key here is the rate at which the fluid accumulates. If it is a chronic issue that allows the pericardium to adapt and stretch, it can hold upwards of one liter of fluid as long as it accumulates slowly enough over a chronic timeline without affecting the interpericardial pressure. But in an acute setting, like a trauma patient who has sustained multiple knife wounds, the pericardium does not have time to adapt, and smaller volumes of fluid is enough to affect the interpericardial pressure and cardiac function. Even 50 milliliters of fluid can lead to changes in hemodynamics if it accumulates rapidly enough. Although trauma is what comes to mind when thinking of tamponade, other causes include malignancy, pericarditis, aortic rupture, and idiopathic. These can also cause a chronic pericardial effusion that does not compromise hemodynamics. Again, the rate at which the fluid accumulates is the key point. So now that we identified cardiac tamponade, what are the treatment options? The goal is to reduce intercardial pressure and attempt to restore normal cardiac activity and circulation in this life-threatening situation. This can be done with a pericardiocentesis, preferably under ultrasound guidance. This procedure is done by taking a needle and introducing it into the pericardial space and relieving some of that pressure by draining the fluid or blood. Recurrent episodes might require a pericardial window, which is essentially an opening from the pericardial space to the pleural cavity so fluid can no longer accumulate and compromise heart function. So we've gone over some of the signs and symptoms and treatment of cardiac tamponade. Next, we are going to discuss how ultrasound can be used to increase your confidence in making a diagnosis. To visualize the heart, there are four main views, including parasternal shore axis, parasternal long axis, apical forechamber, and sub-xiphoid views. Images of example views of each of these are seen in the description. There are five main findings to look for in cardiac tamponade, which include pericardial effusion, right ventricular collapse, right atrial collapse, a plethoric IVC, and variation in tricuspid valve and mitral valve velocities. For pericardial fusion, only about 15 to 25 milliliters of fluid in the pericardial space is required to be able to be visualized on ultrasound as a dark line of fluid between the pericardium and myocardium. Pericardial fusion can be seen in either the parasternal long or short axis, apical forechamber, and sub-xiphoid views. And remember, fluid appears black on ultrasound, or otherwise known as anechoic. The second finding is right ventricular collapse. This can be seen in all four main cardiac views as previously mentioned.
Right ventricular collapse can be seen as the right ventricular wall notching in during diastole that impairs proper filling of the ventricle. In a normal heart, you would expect the ventricular walls to be expanded as opposed to notching in during diastole to allow for blood to properly accumulate. Right ventricle notching is sometimes described as appearing like a little man jumping on a trampoline, with the trampoline being the ventricular wall. M-mode can be used in the parasternal long axis view with the cursor placed across the mitral valve to detect a decrease in right ventricular lumen size. As a reminder, M-mode is used when you want to track changes at a certain point over time. So using this, you can detect changes in the right ventricular lumen size by looking at the movement of the right ventricle wall. Interventricular septum can also be seen bouncing into the left ventricle. The specificity of this finding in cardiac tamponade ranges from about 72 to 90%. The sensitivity ranges between 48 to 100% depending on early or late presentation. The third finding is right atrial collapse. This is seen as a systolic collapse of the right atrial walls. It has a specificity ranging from 33 to 100%, which is pretty wide, but it increases when atrial collapse lasts for greater than one-third of the cardiac cycle. Sensitivity ranges from 50 to 100%, and again, it depends on how advanced the tamponade is when the echo is performed. The fourth finding on ultrasound is a plethoric IVC. And this is defined as an IVC with a diameter of the lumen greater than 2 cm with minimal variation in diameter with inspiration, specifically less than 50% reduction. This is better observed with M-mode, with the cursor ideally 2-3 cm from the IVC right atrium junction caudal to the hepatic vein draining into the IVC. With M-mode, you can better see the difference in diameter of the IVC with inspiration by tracking the changes of the diameter over time. This is due to the increased pressure in the interpericardial space that impairs diastolic filling of the heart and therefore backs up the pressure all the way into the IVC. Sensitivity of this finding for cardiac tamponade is about 79% with specificity around 40%. And the final ultrasound finding in cardiac tamponade that we are going to discuss is the variation in tricuspid valve and mitral valve velocities. This is a little more difficult to assess as it requires measurements as opposed to pure visualization. It is measured using spectral Doppler to look for variation in the respiratory cycle as a surrogate measure for pulses paradoxes. In the apical floor chamber view, the sample gate is placed in the left ventricle at the level of the mitral valve leaflet tips. Inflow velocities are measured over multiple respiratory cycles. When tamponade is present, the E-wave's maximum and minimum peaks will have a greater than 25% difference in height. Tricuspid valve velocity is measured in the same way with the sample gates at the tricuspid valve leaflet tips. But suspicion for tamponade is increased when the difference in the max and minimum of the E-waves is greater than 40%, as opposed to 25% seen in the mitral valve measurements. Images of all these findings can be seen in the description so you can get a better idea of what they actually look like on the ultrasound screen. For a patient presenting with concerns for cardiac tamponade, 
and echo is useful in aiding in the diagnosis of it. The five main findings once more that are commonly seen are pericardial effusion, right ventricular diastolic collapse, right atrial systolic collapse, a plethoric IVC with minimal respiratory variation, and mitral valve and tricuspid valve velocity variation. All of these findings are associated with an increase in interpericardial pressure and its effects on cardiac function and hemodynamic stability. Thanks for listening to another episode of EMACast. Hopefully you have learned something new about cardiac tamponade and are able to use ultrasound with a little more confidence next time you have a cardiac tamponade patient. For more information, please check out the description for references and example ultrasound images. Hope you all are staying safe out there and make sure to keep an eye out for the next episode of EMACast. Mm-hmm.